Welcome back to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, the special edition where we bring you three separate podcasts with the CEOs of companies that have supported Dr. SF in 2023, the Digital Orthopedics Conference in San Francisco. This turn is for Douglas Fairbanks, the CEO of Advanced Scanners, who showed us some extraordinarily interesting methodologies for scanning three-dimensional bodies in the operating room using camera vision. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Welcome back to the Orthopedics Podcast. The Digital Orthopedics Podcast is brought to you by DocSF, the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco, which we just had in May. And at that conference, we actually had Doug Fairbanks from Advanced Scanners presenting. And we're now coming back for a special edition to talk to him in more depth about Advanced Scanners, the problems they're trying to solve, the challenges they're facing, and learn a bit more about Doug himself. So welcome, Doug, to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. Hey, Stefano, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It is awesome. We love your technology. We think it's so forward-thinking and so amazing. Logically, it takes advantage of some of the computational advances we've made in the last five years or so. So tell you what, let's start a little bit about Doug. You've had a career before coming to Advanced Scanners. It actually makes you perfect for this job. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, thank you for the question. Look, I've spent the last 15 years of my career kind of at the intersection of surgical intervention, technology, and commercialization. And I like to think that I've been uniquely shaped in my past experiences to be able to produce what we need to take advanced scanners to this next level. I'm very proud that I started my career in a very young age as actually an implant rep, standing in the OR next to a surgeon, watching a procedure, being responsible for those elements. I don't think that we often don't appreciate all that happens in the background to make things go and work. But I think that there's real learning in my career there that says, hey, look, this is critically important and we should be solving the challenges that the surgeon and the patient face every day. And I was very fortunate to be successful in, in that career and that role as an implant rep and then work into a regional role where we did a business turnaround at Brain Lab Orthopedics, ultimately taking very little internal money and exiting at a pretty substantial rate there. And then ultimately moving over to Johnson & Johnson, where I was responsible for the global commercial effort on a surgical robotic system, which happened on time, ahead of schedule, halfway around the world during a global pandemic. So I got a lot of really great learnings across my career with different stages with surgeons and hospitals and patients. And I'm really excited that at Advanced Scanners, that may be the biggest contributions that I make, being able to make the rubber meet the road and help the organization understand, hey, we really impact patients when we deliver on a technology that's this exciting. Global Head at J&J is a huge project and the skill sets you acquire in that role are going to be helping you for a long time to come, I'm sure. All right. So you made a big diagonal to a hyper specific, from this big, big company to this little startup with a hyper-focused technology. Let's hear more about advanced scanners and then why you got so excited about this technology. In undergrad, I was an information systems engineer along with a got a degree in business marketing as well and went to grad school for business. And I've always been excited about technology. Very early in my career, I saw that computers supplemented us or surgeons in a way that was really complimentary. And actually, it was on the stage at your conference and someone said, are we going to become technicians? Are we going to press the button that's going to go? And my response to that is, Absolutely not. And the things that technology and robotics and navigation give surgeons 
are a perfect complement to who they are, right? And that the calculations and measurements and high accuracy that comes with these tools is a great complement to the thinking and the caring and the experience that comes from a very seasoned, experienced surgeon. And the analogy that I use is, hey, look, the Formula One car is, is not a precision machine that you press a button and you go. person who drives it is a talented, skilled person and that they get the best out of both by combining those efforts. So when I think about my pathway that found me in technology, I was very lucky to have experiences with Larry Dorr very early in my career in Los Angeles who believed in the computer and he'd say, hey, after the case, you should put your x-ray on the screen and it shouldn't be a mystery if you did your hip right. We have the tools to tell us the answer should be mundane. That, oh yeah, of course it was right. We measured it. And so very early on, I got obsessed with the use of technology to fill in the gaps that are very challenging in doing anything, let alone doing surgery. And so a couple of years back, maybe a year and a half ago, I happened on this technology as I went to grad school at the University of Texas in Austin. I followed kind of the med tech scene and there was something special about what advanced scanners was. I'm not a founder of advanced scanners. I came over as the COO after two months was turned into the CEO. So (laughs) there's all story there another time. But the truth of the matter is, I said, these guys have something special. How does the world know more about it? And so after spending some time with it, I picked myself up, left my very good job in corporate America at a time that was kind of challenging a brand new baby that was a month old. I forgoed two months of fraternity leave and said, I'm going to go all in on this. And luckily, when we showed it to surgeons, when we showed it to companies, the response is the same that I had. Wow, this is something special. We want to see it more. So it's kind of a no-brainer when you say, well, you come over to it. That's my journey and I'm excited about it. That's an amazing journey, but we're six minutes in and nobody on the audience has a clue what we're talking about. Yeah, that's a big problem. Advanced (laughs) advanced scanners. And this is a podcast. So I'm showing you all these great images on the screen that no one can appreciate. Look, when you think about what advanced scanners is, advanced scanners is a deep tech optical scanning company. And in these talks, I often end up spending a lot of time educating folks on what the company is. Really, there's a couple different ways in which you get to computer vision, which is the core of what we are as a company. Now, if you think about robotics and navigation, and I've given this talk before in public, so I'm not going to repeat it here. There's a very convoluted way in which the computer understands what happens physically in a procedure. It's an inferred relationship that uses this rigmarole of infrared lights and trackers that are attached to a patient's. And that actually, that relationship degrades over the course of the procedure. And so we have this inferred relationship. Now, what we've created is a camera that says, hey, we're going to look at the patient the same way that your eyes do. And we're going to tell you where the tissue is. We're going to tell you qualities about the size, shape, and other qualities that are color and, and other that I can't talk about right now, but give you qualities about the tissues that you can understand more deeply so that when you're operating against the patient, you're not depending on this inferred relationship. So essentially... We're a camera company that creates this very special relationship between tissues and computer and falls into this computer vision category. Does that help? It does help. So as a layman, I'm thinking, instead of telling the robot where a piece of bone or surface of a bone is in space by touching with a special probe, I'm just pointing a camera at it and it knows where that bone is, right? Yeah. So suddenly, instead of exposing a whole bunch of bone and giving all these data points manually, 
I can just point a camera at a very small surface area. I think you've talked about a centimeter square, which is tiny, and infer the rest of the relationship of the bone. The visual for those of you listening is that the camera can see a square inch, make it simple, square inch of bone. And from that, recreate the entire structure, the bony structure, the anatomical structure of that bone based on the CT scan that it has access to, which is when you see it, it looks like science fiction. But let's just move on from the question of technology. Let's assume it works. What does it do and how are you applying it? What problems do you have to solve with this technology? Yeah, this is my favorite question because it drives to what it is to be an entrepreneur. I actually do some mentoring at the University of Biomedical Engineers, students and entrepreneurs. And I often get students that come and say, hey, I have a solution. How do I get rich with this solution? How do I make everybody wants to be an entrepreneur? And I said, the trick of being successful is not actually focusing on the solution. It's focusing on the problem. And so I love this question. What is the problem? Well, first of all, the FDA has issued a warning on the use of these types of tracking devices that we described with infrared and reflectors, right? They said that the use of these systems can result in patient death, life-threatening injuries, failed abort or prolonged procedures. That's real. If the FDA has to write a letter that says that, right? That's a big problem to be solved. But on top of that, in my years of standing in thousands of procedures in hundreds of hospitals all over the world, you see that this is an effort that is very hard on surgeons. Hey, I got to hand into the patient's bone. I got to make separate holes into their skin. I got to do this trace mechanism. We watch trace, right? Trace is that idea where you take the pointer and you put it over the patient's tissue and you create the relationship to the bone that way. Well, the same surgeon can do that five different times and come up with five different answers. Here in the same fraction of a second, we can create a million data points that are objective. So the problems that we solve are A, usability. How do we make a better experience for the surgeon? How do we make a better experience for the patient? Less holes in the patient. But then you think about all the other opportunities. Now we're kind of focused in three verticals right now, brain, spine, and orthopedics. I'm most passionate, obviously, towards orthopedics. But there are all kinds of problems that are associated with brain surgery. The brain moves and flows during the procedure. And that brain shift actually is critically important to understand because we're having things like brain-computer interface where we got to put this electrode in the exact right place during the procedure in order for us to have that interface work. So there's lots of little problems. We could probably go long in this discussion because of the platform technology, but we are highly focused on improving the way that surgery is done and improving those relationships between the enabling technologies and the surgeons. So in some ways, you're actually going one step ahead because the technologies that are coming are going to require a level of accuracy that the current systems are not going to allow, actually. That's my take on it long term. And so I see this as the next generation interface between us as surgeons, the robots that are enabling us to do ever more accurate surgery, and the patient's tissue on which we're operating. That'd be a fair way to describe it. Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, you survey or talk to surgeons, they like speed and accuracy. And speed's not just selfish, right? The surgeons are asked to do more with less and less time, and it's hard for the economics of the thing. But also, it's important not to have the patient under anesthesia for a long time. That's better for the patient. But the, the idea of accuracy is actually really funny to us. The engineers here, most of them who don't have much of a medical device background, they're like, FDA is asking us for two millimeters. Yeah. And we're on the bench here, Doug, and we're at 250 or 350 microns, that's a couple of human hairs. They're like, two millimeters, where are they doing surgery? And where is this the standard? It just so happens that that's the standard everywhere. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that we are pinning down on accuracy. The device and the way that we've done it, really this is a hardware innovation on computer vision that gets to some very accurate outcomes. And we're excited about that because that really fine accuracy is something that we're proud of as a company. And on the back end, on the AI side of the world, those of us that are working in the space are trying to create algorithms to increase the accuracy of our targets. But if we don't have a device that can hit that target, that accuracy is wasted. So having a technology that is not plus minus two millimeters, but say plus minus half a millimeter, because that's unfortunately the saws themselves are not that accurate will, I think, enable us to take those ideas, those learnings from the next generation of artificial intelligence and algorithms to actually the clinical workflow. So the technology we now understand, it's basic computer vision, enabling us to link the robot to the tissue so we can do better job. We can do a better job executing on a plan. Tell me a little bit about how we're going to be implementing this technology. What are the challenges of the barriers and how we're going to overcome them? I'm happy to address the challenges and barriers, and I'd like to go there. I would like to make one comment on oh, AI, which I worry that people accuse me of being an anti-AI guy. Every time I get on stage, I make a joke about me not being an AI company, that deep tech optical scanning, it might be enough to impress people. But AI is really the focus of the future, and I'm for it. And the truth of the matter is, is that AI has to be trained on data, right? And while we are not right now an AI company, we certainly do create a data layer that is unique and special. And so when you think about AI plays or AI possibilities or verticals for a company, my eyes are certainly not close to that. And we are actively pursuing those efforts to make sure that we're robust and have the mechanisms in place to be able to support AI in the future. So I just want to clear the air there because I often make an AI joke about how I'm not AI, but I do pay attention to the industry and I am a strong supporter advocate of the use of those technologies. Yeah, and I use AI very broadly without getting too specific about what I meant by that. But I was really looking at machine learning algorithms that are optimized for a specific outcome. And as we're learning more about phenotypes and variation within human anatomy, our ability to hit those targets are going to be increasingly improved by our understanding of the variation within anatomy. So I totally agree with that statement. What Do you want to go back and address the challenges? You know, go right ahead, because I think it's a critical element. I didn't know if you were trying to skirt that question. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, this is important, right? To understand where the challenges are in the market and for us. And someone said to me the other day, the only challenge for a startup, the only real challenge they should be considering is running out of money. That's kind of funny and it's true, but there are actually real challenges. And so look, in our company, we think deeply about how this can treat and help patients. and. For us, one of the things that's critically important is finding the right partners who see and value what this can do. And for us, one of the challenges we've experienced is vision. And all too often we get into the day-to-day work of saying, oh yeah, we can optimize efficiencies here. We can cut these things out and we can just focus on just grinding through our day. But when you introduce a technology like computer vision, the challenge is, for lack of a better word, vision. Do you understand what this can do for you? Do you understand that this can dramatically improve these experiences that, you know, imagine a situation in which you walk into an OR and I'll tell you, and you don't need to tell me this, but you walk in and say, I'm going to pin to the patient's phone and I'm going to spend this time programming it where everything is. And I'm going to go through this work. What if you walked in the OR, made your arthrotomy, pointed the camera at the patient and went, right? It could be that simple. And this is what it does. So as I think about our challenges as a company, 
we obviously have to make a tool that integrates well into other platforms. We're not going to be a standalone solution. We're making a tool that allows other people to maximize this technology, but allowing those companies to see the vision that this really is impactful and can be dramatically different from what's out there is where we focus a lot of our efforts. No, I totally get that. I, you know, if a true definition of a computer of a robot is a computer that can act on its environment using an actuator, those two things have to be true. Vision, its ability to perceive its environment is critical. And the way we're doing it now is pretty rudimentary. So we had up until now, but adding vision to the idea is definitely something that, I mean, I, that idea that vision you just proposed of like walking in, opening the knee and the robot sees what I see. And then helps me make some decisions relative to that and then help me execute on those decisions without having a third or clumsy interface. It may not be very accurate. And the other thing that you haven't mentioned yet, but I think it's worth telling our audience is that one of the beauties of this protocol, if I'm not mistaken, is that it's constantly updating. It's constantly refreshing, constantly becoming increasingly accurate. So you don't have to continuously check to see if the system is correct. It is always correct. Is that right? Yeah. And we used to talk about this pretty frequently is continuously accurate surgery. That's how we described what our offering was. Now, that's exciting for us in a bunch of ways, but we want to say we can see the patient, see the patient, see the patient. And we were last year scanning a patient at about 1.3 times a second. When I showed up, I said, let's go faster. Like anything, right? Let's go faster. So in November, we were scanning three times a second. In January, six times a second. And then a month and a half ago, one of the engineers grabbed me in the hallway and said, Doug, look at this. And he had a report where he was between 11 and 13 times a second. Now, when this becomes interesting is that, A, we're more accurate. We're always seeing the seed. So it's always correcting and fixing what the surgeon is looking at. And the truth of the matter is, is that we have a goal of getting to frame rate 30 times a second or greater. We don't think that that's beyond us. We're actively running at it with the new compute that's available. That seems to be within reason. And at that place, you get a whole bunch of new capabilities. You very clearly can see and watch the procedure as it unfolds and you can make real-time decision-making. It unlocks a whole bunch of capabilities that we're excited about as a company. Doug, I think you've gotten a lot of people listening to this, just their brains worrying about the opportunity and possibility of computer vision in the operating room. I want to thank you for participating in this podcast. It's a special event for the Dr. SF23 subset of podcasts and this season, which is season 11. We'd love to send everybody to see you and to talk to you. Where can they reach you? Yeah, we actively update LinkedIn, which is probably our favorite forum for this technology. So check us out on LinkedIn. And thank you all for having us. We are a huge fan of DocSF. Well, I think we're signed up for life. I'm a big <laughs> fan of the podcast. I'm a big fan of going to the meetings. Thank you for creating, Dr. Beanie, such a great venue for us to share ideas and for people to be real advocates of innovation. You know, I talked about having that challenge of having vision. I don't have that vision challenge at your meetings. And it's a real joy for me. Thank you so much. Awesome. I appreciate that. And with that, I want to call the uh, end of this podcast and look forward to seeing you again soon and following you on LinkedIn and elsewhere with the amazing progress you're making. Everybody, thank you for joining us at, at the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, and uh, we'll continue with our next session in the next couple of days. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. If you find the talks as incredibly informative and topical as we did, please do share this podcast with your friends and leave us a nice review on your podcast player of choice. It would mean a lot if you did.
Hey there, this is Stefano again. I apologize. While we were recording the presentation from Doug Fairbanks, I forgot to mention that you can see the videos showcasing how he has applied camera vision to digital orthopedics on our website at the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco or docsf.health forward slash docsf23. We can see the video from his presentation on Thursday, May 5th. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and I look forward to seeing you on the next one.